The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at tntradio.live. Informative and engaging. Rick Munn. Rick Munn on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Yes, you better believe it. It is Tuesday, the 20th of November, 2023. This is Locked and Loaded. I'm Rick Munn. Gemma Cooper's waiting in the wings. And also the legend himself, Mad Mick Chaves, will be joining me at about 20 past the hour to discuss some of the finer points of politics and shenanigans and skullduggery that's currently going on in the UK at this point in time. So if you haven't already uh, realized, we're streaming not just on audio, but on vision. Also, uh, where can you see this wonderful uh, vision in front of your eyes? You might be thinking, well, some people are still asking that question in the chat. Uh, As soon as you go onto our website, which is tntradio.live, you'll see a little box about halfway down the home page. That's a link through to the live stream that's currently up on YouTube at the moment. But also you can stream via Odyssey and it's on Facebook and it's live streaming out on the X platform or the Twitter platform, also on all major streaming platforms. So please, if you haven't already done so, check it out. Some people have said they prefer just to listen. Uh, which is fine. You can continue to do that. Just switch off the uh, switch off your screen or listen on the app, which is available on the App Store or the Google Play Store. Simply search for TNT Radio and you'll see it and you'll be able to download it for free. Stick it onto your phone and tell others about it. Uh, Gemma and I were talking about uh, group chats on WhatsApp uh, in the first hour, so maybe you can actually use those evil things to TNT's advantage. Spam your group chats. Spam them relentlessly with uh, clips and audio and links to apps for TNT Radio and help us to get the word out there. So a couple of things. Uh, Interestingly, Over the last uh, few days, we've been talking about, and then people have started to write articles on them, one of which in particular uh, in relation to Ireland. We were speculating on uh, Conor McGregor, the UFC ex-champion and also a one-time boxer, has uh, weighed in on the rioting in Dublin last week and the stabbings that have been going on there. He says uh, Ireland is at war. He's become very vocal all of a sudden, despite being quiet during the lockdown years and the scandemic years and the vaccine passport years. But now he's becoming very vocal. And yesterday, I think it was, we were hypothesizing on whether or not he could be courting uh, a move in towards politics, possibly in Ireland. And then yesterday I saw a story uh, on Gripped uh, in the light of his recent political statements. Would you vote for Conor McGregor if he ran for election in Ireland? Uh, vote in our online poll and leave your thoughts and your comments. So interesting that one came up. And the guy uh, is a very polarizing individual. Uh, he's under investigation for some uh, dubious um Accusations, let me just say. So he's not everybody's cup of tea, but could he be any worse than anybody else that's out there? And is this not just another example of why politics is in the state that it's in, where it's you're not voting for maybe who is the best candidate for the job or the most uh, person with the most integrity? You're voting for the least bad candidate, or you're voting for just about anybody that will result in a possible changing of the guard to allow somebody to come in with maybe with a fresh set of ideas, a fresh set of eyes. Doesn't matter really what their background is. Doesn't really matter what their qualifications are. The question is, we just need to get the old guard out so maybe just maybe he's poised for a, a, a leap onto the irish political stage and like everything else time will tell uh yesterday as well a photograph was put up and i think it's important that you know this lady's name uh, leanne flynn a picture was put up of a lady in ireland called leanne flynn this is the crash worker 
who was seriously injured after stepping in front of the Algerian knife man in order to protect a group of five and six-year-old children. Uh, if anyone deserves praise, this article reads in the Irish uh, media, if anyone deserves praise, uh, it's this woman. She is the real hero. Yeah, so before the Brazilian arrived, before the French tourist arrived, even before the Irish man intervened to disarm this man, this lady put herself between uh, the children and the knife man. There hasn't been any GoFundMe page for her, to my knowledge. 208,000 euro has not been raised for her. I haven't seen any interviews with her, but I'll tell you what her name is this morning and give her her place. It's Leanne Flynn. So a huge uh, TNT salute this morning goes out to Leanne Flynn, uh, one of the unsung heroes of last uh, Thursday's knife attack in Dublin city centre. So it's important uh, that people get credit where credit's due. Not that she's looking for any, but when everybody else is having the spotlight shone on them, maybe for secondary issues, I think it's only right. She was the primary intervener in this. And maybe had she not done that, more children could have been uh, stabbed and maybe some of them fatally. So uh, let's give Leanne Flynn a big TNT salute here this morning. So please stay tuned. Gemma is on the way. We'll be right back here on TNT Radio. Keeping the commitment 24-7. I've been in the car all day and I got to listen. Can't get enough of it. You guys are doing a great job. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Gemma, do you not find that's the case with uh, politics at the minute? It's a sad state of affairs where we don't vote for the best party if we vote at all, if we have any faith in the system at all. We don't vote for the best party or the best candidate. We tend now to vote for the least bad one or the one that we dislike the least because, quite frankly, there's very few candidates out there that we could actually look at and say, hey, you know what? I would get behind her. I would get behind him. They've got integrity. I, I trust that person. It's like, well, I don't trust them, but I trust them more than, for example, Keir Starmer. I trust them more than Rishi Sunak. Is that not a bad state that we're in where we're voting for the least bad politician rather than the best one? I think it's always been like that. And I think it's absolutely the way the system is is designed, that, that it's just this flipping and flopping between X or Y or blue mm. or red. Uh, and it, and you're and you so caught up in the um, drama of your life and, and wishing that things were different because they make it so bad by the end that you think, okay, I'll vote for the red instead of the blue because that's definitely going to bring change. But once you get to a certain age, you realize mm, nothing's really changed. Nothing's really, if I look at my life over the last 50 years, what's changed for me then? What's really changed? Nothing changes. And I always are fond of saying if voting was effective, they'd make it illegal. They wouldn't let us yeah. do it. So they like to play, they like us to play us and we think we've got some modicum of control. Um, yeah, and it's the least bad, isn't it? It's the least bad of the lesser of the two evils mm -hmm. and all of that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. But more and more people see through, but then you have the dichotomy of people see through it and think, right, I won't give the system my energy and I won't go to the ballot box. Where does that lead as well? Is that part of this game of like, okay, well, if you, people aren't voting, we'll replace so-called democracy with um, a one-world government system, or we'll just take the responsibility away completely. And that's, you know, that leads to dictatorship. So it, what do you do? What's the solution with this one? It's a, it's a tricky one, isn't it? It is. And, you know, a lot of people have become, I, I think, do you not find that a lot of people have become very disenfranchised with voting in the same way as they did? For example, a lot of people blindly would have taken vaccines if they were offered to them uh, or their children 
before the COVID scandemic, but now I think there's been an awakening by many people that become super skeptical about anything that the doctors want to stick in their arms. I think almost the same thing is happening with politics now as well. People that might have voted on the belief that it will change things and that there is alternatives out there. I think people have become equally disenfranchised with uh, the political system and they've had an awakening to that as well that maybe would never have questioned over the last three years. I think it's almost like a mirror of what's happening with the medical professional. I think people are becoming just very disenfranchised in general with it, Gemma. Yeah, and I think we're at a transitional point with the the way human beings are kind of thinking about themselves and their reality and the world we live in. We we haven't come through the the transformational process that the last three and a half years has sparked. We're in the thick of it, and that is always a kind of tricky place to be because we don't know the outcome, but we know we don't want to go back to the old ways and we want to step away from the the, the corporate ways, the the government ways of doing things. But we haven't got a blueprint for what the next thing is. Um, so transitions are always difficult. However, however you even if you're the one choosing the transition, they're quite often painful processes. But it, uh, I talk quite a lot about voting and elections with James Freeman on the Freeman Report because he is an ex member of the European Parliament. Mm -hmm. So he understands the political process very well. And I've said to him a few times, in fact, I might raise it on the show with him in the hour after this, you know, I don't vote anymore and I'm disenfranchised. And he said, no, 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 Gemma, you still have to vote. And especially at local elections is the most important because that's where you can affect greater change uh, on a local level. Um, and he did present a very convincing argument a couple of weeks ago about why it's still important to turn up and put your ex in the box. So maybe he's changed my mind. But what the global picture is, doesn't look at every single country in the world. Look at Barack Obama when he came in. Oh, we can hope for change. Did he change anything? No, he, he played the globalist playbook. They all do. They all do. They play the globalist playbook. They're reading from the same script, aren't they? Yeah, and that's that's a good point too. By the way, you know, it's up to the individual whether or not they want to vote or not. Uh, you'd become a you know an unbeliever in that respect. Maybe James has uh, swayed you back the other direction. But you have to ask yourself a question: How many politicians do you know of that were elected on the back of a certain manifesto, and then when they became elected, they either abandoned it completely or forgot they even said or made those promises to get the votes in the first place? So I'm not saying that there aren't some good. There are some good politicians out there. You have to search long and hard. To find them but generally speaking they'll never get into a position of great influence because they don't play the globalist playbook so yeah maybe uh you know put it in the balance weigh it up whether or not you think it's going to make a difference and then act accordingly but i know a lot of people uh a bit like leaving the whatsapp groups and going back to text messages again they've abandoned the uh the voting booths uh completely <laughs> so there's another story actually that you've highlighted here that uh piggybacks onto the uh, one that natalie and i were discussing in the last hour to do with uh, house prices. Boomers are being blamed in Australia for uh, young people not getting on the housing market ladder, <clears throat> talking about the price of houses, talking about a shortage of houses. This is another story not relating to Australia. This is to do with rural England, but it's the same principle seems to be applying here. Acute and overlooked shortage of affordable houses posing a threat to the survival of communities in rural England. So what's the, what's the lowdown in this one? Well, you've, you've nailed it in the headline, and it is similar to the story you were discussing in the last hour, you know, the house prices. But also, this is a story that is playing into the globalist playbook because it's got the hallmarks of Agenda 21 and Agenda 30 all over it. As you quite rightly say, the headlines today 
uh, from the campaign to protect rural England, a very big charity here in the UK, a very big organisation, should I say. Uh, you're quite right, acute and overlooked shortage of affordable homes, threat to communities in rural England. Now, a lot of England is rural, uh, and I wager this doesn't just apply to England. It will be Scotland and Wales and Northern Ireland, and then looking around the world, probably the same issues, because this is where I'm going with this story. So the chief executive of this organisation, Campaign to Protect Rural England, says people are being driven out of the countryside by record house prices, low wages, because rural communities historically are not affluent places if you work there. Um, second homes, you've got rich people coming in from cities buying second homes and short-term uh, rentals. Uh, he says it's ripping the soul from rural communities because if you're born and raised in those communities, you've got family there, you're being forced to leave for economic reasons. You become an economic migrant effectively. And he wants uh, solutions. He wants affordable housing, no more second homes. He says enough's enough. Um, and he says it's contributing as well to the problem of rural hidden homelessness and sofa surfing. Um, the social housing weights for, for rural areas in the UK have risen consistently since 2020. And it would now take 89 years of social housing at the current build rate to clear that backlog. So that gives you an idea of how bad this problem is. Now, I'm saying, and this is my opinion, looking at the story and analyzing it, one of the goals of Agenda 21, Agenda 2030 is about sustainable communities and human settlement areas. That's what they actually call it in, Agen in the United Nations playbook. And I can see that this is a concerted and consistent effort to get people out of the countryside and guess where they're going to put them? You'll be in your smart city, you'll be in your human settlement zone, uh, and the countryside will increasingly become a no-go area. Now, of course, the easiest way to start that is start with the poor. The poor are disenfranchised. If, you, if you're poor and you haven't got a voice, you're being forced out of the countryside, you might think, oh, it'll stop there. No, no, no. Then there'll be the ban on second homes as a, as a, as a reactions, problem reaction solution to this issue. So then people with second homes will be forced to stay in the city. And the, you can see where this is going. Everybody out of the countryside. No one can afford to live there now. We don't want second homes back into the cities. And then, of course, you've got rewilding on top of that, which is becoming a hugely hot topic uh, around the UK. Uh, things like wolves and and the going back into the wild or you know so you're not going to want to go into the countryside there so this looks to me like a concerted effort to move people out of the countryside beautiful in nature and into cities which will increasingly become more and more smart and driven by technology mm -hmm. uh, interesting too Gemma uh it's becoming it's very difficult at least in the area that I live in uh, my mother-in-law lives down in the in the countryside it's very very difficult to get planning permission now for new dwellings in greenbelt land, so-called greenbelt land that was traditionally used for agriculture. They are starting to, uh, you know, the fringes of little uh, rural towns, they're starting to pass more in the, you know, the adjoining fields around the peripheries of those towns, but for new areas to be built upon. And of course, uh, spaces, uh, once an old man told me, invest in land because they can't make any more of it. In other words, it's not something you can keep producing. They don't make any more fields and they don't make any more space to build houses on. It's either there or it's not. So he invested heavily in uh, farmland, hoping to get it passed off as uh, zoned for, uh, you know, social housing or housing, but it never happened. And, uh, you know, he said, it's never going to happen in your lifetime because you're too far out, too far out of the town. So we had a good idea, but unfortunately he didn't get the right advice for it. So, yeah. And also, uh, local communities or, you know, rural areas are usually generational. You know, a farm is usually something that's passed down, you know, from father to son, and then he passes it on or mother to daughter, whatever it happens to be. 
that can break a cycle of you know a generational farm in an area if it's like well we can't build here and we need another dwelling and my family's outsizing this and I don't want to be in farming anymore so what do they do they up sticks and they go to the cities which drains uh, rural communities further I think as well as what you're saying uh, it does feed into that agenda they want to herd us more towards the cities keep us in our little places. They don't want us to have beautiful views over rolling fields. They don't want us to hear the birds in the morning, uh, concrete jungle for the wind, as far as the globalists are concerned. And this could be another uh, method that they use to bring that about. Yeah, completely, because um, the government was approached in the UK for comment on this story. And a quote from the Department of Leveling Up and Housing says, we want affordable homes in both rural and urban areas. And they they, they put pluck some figures out of the air about how much they're investing. Um, and you think, well, why aren't you doing it then? Why haven't you done mm. it before? Why, why, if you want want it, why the why is the countryside under great threat now? With you know communities at breaking point in terms of young people leaving, and no one can afford to live there. So you either want it or you don't, you know. But it, obviously, we know that, that that government departments don't answer to us; they answer to who's above them and who's above them. So again, this, the, to me, this has definitely got Agenda Twenty One, Agenda Thirty of coming out of the countryside into the cities. Give it another what? Where are we now? Sixteen years. When we get to Agenda 30, what are those cities actually going to look like? Six years, actually, not 16. <laughs> oh, yeah, 20, no, it's six. <laughs> 26 <laughs> years, not 16. Oh, that's not Agenda 2040. Yeah, that's frightening when you think that we're only six <laughs> years away from them hitting their Agenda 2030 deadline. But don't forget, we have Agenda 25 on the cards for TNT Radio. We aim to be five years ahead of the globalists in reclaiming back freedom, liber liberty, and freedom of speech. That's not an official thing. I just like the sound of it. And TNT's agenda is 2025, not 20. 30, like the globalists, but for now, anyway, uh, you go and uh, double check your mathematics, check that little calculator <laughs> yeah. of yours, and go back to school, do some mathematics. But no, 20, uh, 20 30 is not six years away, uh, just about six years and three months of, or two months, if you want to be pedantic about it. But it's all good. We're going to keep an eye on it. We're going to do our level best to resist it in every way, shape, or form. So, massive thank you to you this morning, Gemma Cooper, for all the input. As always, we'll catch up again tomorrow. Mad McJames is on his way, beaming in from an disclosed location in England, so please don't go away. This is TNT Radio. You should hear what Ross Cameron is talking about. I see there's a new trend taking place, sweeping uh, the internet of what they're calling sort of technology naked walks, where you go for a walk without your iPhone, without uh, a headset, and just alone with your thoughts. Apparently some people are finding it quite emotionally taxing, but subsequently liberating. Uh, certainly I find if I get into a motor vehicle with a teenager, it's a matter of seconds uh, before there is a request for uh, usually the latest uh, Taylor Swift song or some other form of electronic stimulus. We are generation apparently trained uh, for a very short concentration span and a desperate need for um, digital company. Ross Cameron on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. I didn't ask to be thrown in the streets with nowhere to go. I didn't think I'd survive. But I did ask for help and Covenant House was there for me. One in 10 young adults will experience a form of homelessness this year. For these kids who didn't ask to be put in this unthinkable situation, Covenant House is there. Covenant House helped me break the cycle of homelessness in my family. They gave me the love that I needed. Over 2,000 young people will sleep safely in a Covenant House bed tonight. When youth who are experiencing homelessness have a hot meal, 
a safe place to sleep, medical care, and love. They can overcome heartbreaking challenges and have a brighter future. They just really genuinely just wanted to help me succeed, and I'm succeeding. I'm a, I'm a speaker, I'm an author. Covenant House really helped me and really helped mold me into the woman I am today. If you or someone you love is asking for help, go to safeplacetosleep.org today. Today's News Talk Radio. Come on, let the man talk. We never censor our hosts. Good. Now, talk. Uncensored News. Today's News Talk Radio. TNT. Okay, it's uh, time to rumble. Let's get ready to rumble. I'm talking again to my old chum uh, from the Kent Resistance, the one and only Mick Chaves, Mad Mick Chaves. And I was thinking, Mick, uh, last night, actually, I went onto your website, which is madmixconspiracies.co.uk, and he has a, a list of all his media appearances stretching back over the last two <laughs> years. And you and I have talked a lot. Your first appearance, actually, on Locked and Loaded was way back in January or February of 2022. We're nearly into 2024 now and it's been almost wow. a year uh, since you were on last christmas uh promoting the, the the single at the time your your attempt to, to breach the christmas number one spot for matt the cock uh, dedicated to the one and only matt hancock where is the time going mick where is the time going you know what it um it was explained to me the other day by my son-in-law actually why time seems to be speeding up it's because when you get older you've got way more memories so when you're young, mm. the time seems to go a lot slower because your memories don't fill up your head. But now we've got like, I've got 50 odd years worth of memories. So the time seems to fly by. And literally, yes, last night, um, Lorraine's daughter said that she was watching I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. And I'm like, oh my God, has it been a year already? Because that's when we re released mm. Matt the Cock. The, the yeah. second time we released Matt the Cock because he was in the jungle last year. And I'm like, wow, that year has gone so quick. Yeah. That must mean I'm getting really old. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, you know. And even when you came on there, I didn't recognize you without the pink hoodie <laughs> on. Uh, he's, uh, well, people can see it today as well, which is fantastic. But apparently uh, you're shooting a video. Uh, tell us this, actually, because we'll, we'll take a news break in a couple of minutes, time. But before we do, uh, another single on the way out or another collaboration with the wonderful uh, Martin Noakes. Uh, what, what, what are you shooting a video for exactly today? Yeah, the new single, um, this is our Christmas single. Again, we're going to go for the Christmas number one. Um, this one's called Vaxi Taxi. And as you can <laughs> imagine, it's it's about um, predominantly about people that are going for their seventh booster and mm. um, that people are still in that mindset. And that's the crazy part about it. So here we are four years on since the COVID scam and people are still in that mindset that they would go for a seventh jab. And so it's, it's kind of about them. And it's also about the work that we did trying to convince them that maybe that wasn't the wisest move, you know, and the damage now, like the vaccine damage that is, is becoming apparent to everybody, even on the mainstream, they're talking about vaccine damage now. And but at the same time, they're talking about vaccine damage. They're phoning up old people, telling them to go and get their booster. Not just a booster, it's like a triple threat injection now. You, you've got the COVID, you've got the flu, and you've got um, shingles, and you, you're going in, and they, they're just jabbing you from all directions. And it's like, wow, what is going on in the world? So, you know, Martin and I thought that um, this would be a good time to, particularly because th they started phoning people in over in um, the UK. They started phoning elderly people 
you know, people that I know telling them that they need to go for their seventh jab. And me and Martin, we we spoke about it and we're like, no, we gotta we gotta put this in music, you know, we gotta get this out there that it's still happening. Because people don't realise it here we are, four years on, and it is still happening. The COVID that it hasn't gone away. Uh, here's the thing, by the way. Uh, just I want to. I'm not sure. Have you have you guys actually recorded this yet, or ha- when is it actually going to be released? Um, it well, it's all recorded. It's all done, and the release date is the 15th of December. So yeah, everyone can buy December. it or download it or do what they want with it from the 15th of December. Okay, uh, I'll, I'll say this before I go into the the news break. I actually went on. I was trolling through your Telegram page last night, and this is a a, a recognition for Martin Noakes. Actually, uh, he's a very dab hand. He puts all your music together. He does all the music. You're in his studio at the minute. But I was listening to a song that he did last night. I, I think it was to do with Nikolai Tesla. Uh, it was absolutely brilliant. Uh, I haven't really listened to this stuff before. It reminded me of a little bit of a little bit of a cross between Depeche Mode and Tears for Fears. Uh, back in the 80s so that's a compliment by the way so I know he's uh, lurking around in the <laughs> studio there so fair play to Martin Noakes uh, check out the work that Martin and Mick do together some of it is very tongue-in-cheek and it's very irreverent but it's actually really really good musically and it's actually very catchy stuff as well so keep your eyes on that one for the 15th of December and you'll probably be able to get that through um, uh, Apple Music and also of course Mick's website which is madmixconspiracies.co.uk so that's one to keep an eye out for and you know we tried last year we tried to get you to christmas number one it didn't happen Uh, but it could happen this year this year it could be it could be your year (laughs) so let's keep our fingers crossed for that one we're going to take a quick break now mick and when we come back i want to look at some of the items that are happening uh, across the board in the uk i want to get your feedback your thoughts and your opinions on it and of course you can keep us up to date with other things that you're up to as well so please don't go away this is tnt radio I have some good news. Uh, uh. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Tech tycoon Elon Musk has caused a stir after making the trip to Israel where he met with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and appeared to back the country's bombardment of Gaza. A former White House doctor who has taken care of three past presidents has sounded the alarm over the health of Joe Biden who turned 81 last week. And North Korea has deployed soldiers and heavy weapons at guard posts near its border with South Korea after ripping up a 2018 joint military accord with its southern neighbour. Globalist agendas, democratic rights at risk, corruption, propaganda. It never stops. For the news and views silenced by the mainstream media, by government and corporations, vote one. TNT Radio. Free speech always has a home here. Stay up to date with the latest live news and current affairs delivered by our lineup of expert commentators and hosts. Listen to TNT Radio anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk. This is TNT Radio. Okay, we're coming at you live from our uh, main studio in uh, the Gold Coast in Australia. Mick's joining me from the UK. Of course, I'm based uh, just outside Belfast in Northern Ireland. But listen, uh, there's people listening in from all over the world. And whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whatever you're doing, I hope it's nice. Uh, Feel free to leave us your thoughts, comments and opinions at our live chat, which is tntradio.live. Now, Mick... Uh, A few things that I've highlighted here that I want to bounce off of you. Uh, A lot of water has been passing under the bridge since we first started speaking nearly two years ago. Uh, Rishi Sunak 
who's uh, the UK's third third prime minister in the space of what a year and a bit, of two of which have been unelected, of course. Uh, he says, today we offer a fair deal to NHS consultants to end strike action within the NHS. He said, it's a deal that's fair on taxpayers and patients and it will keep inflation down. So Rishi is pandering to the NHS consultants. I'm going to tell you what these uh, these people who have been striking are, are looking for. Uh, I hugely value NHS consultants' work, NHS consultants' work, and I'm pleased we've been able to make it this far. Reasonable offers after weeks of constructive negotiation. So they've been striking part of the NHS. Of course, Rishi's appeasing them. He's bending down to them. He said it's going to see if... Uh, keep inflation down and keep everybody happy. NHS, uh, are they flogging that horse? When when are they going to stop flogging that dead horse? Well, you know what? I thought these people made enough with, with the um, with the jabs. Weren't they getting £15 mm-hmm. each shot? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but now it's like, feel sorry for the NHS staff because they're so hard done by. But we, we, we've still got that bit of taste in our mouth from the last three years. So it's very difficult to feel sorry for them. Although, in reality, you know, they deserve the money. I, I was on strike with the NHS in um, 89, and uh-huh. they deserve their money. They, they do the work. Yep. But I believe that it's still part of this breaking down the NHS to completely privatise it. And so with, with these kind of disputes, this kind of stuff, you know, in my mad conspiracy mind, it's all set up. Everything is, is set up to play out in a certain way. And I believe that um, that this is is set up to play out for the privatisation of the NHS, the, the breaking it down into segments and selling it off to the highest bidder. Tell me this, Mick, uh, not something we've talked about a lot in the past, but you did have a, a career, actually, I understand, with, with your paramedic, I think, in the, in the, in the London... Uh, you were paramedic That's for right, a long yeah. time. So what I'm trying to say is you were in that system for a while, so you're qualified to be able to comment on it uh, as a grassroots worker, okay? You weren't a top-level consultant, but what you were doing was just as important because at the end of the day, uh, if someone has a heart attack or someone has a stroke, you're one of the first people on the scene. So it's up to you to stabilize that person and potentially save their life before they even get to a hospital. Now, back in the day, Absolutely. Let's, be, let, let's be honest, back in the day, there's very few people of us, very few people that are listening out there in the UK haven't availed of the NHS, maybe have had surgery, have had uh, their life saved by the NHS so we have to doff our hats to them at least for work that's been done up to this point in time but without any shadow of a doubt the the maligning of that you know it's our NHS whenever the 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 scandemic began in March of 2020 you remember they brought out that mantra uh, stay home protect lives save the NHS or whatever it happened to be they tried to factor the NHS and it almost was like some god that had to be worshipped and revered but the fact of the matter is Mick uh, the statistics speak for themselves. You know, the waiting list is now sitting at around 8 million people uh, to see a consultant within the NHS. We had the DNR notices that were put over sick people's dead uh, beds during the, the scandemic when people weren't even allowed in to see their loved ones. We had the Medazalam murders, uh, courtesy of uh, Matt Hancock. We had infinite numbers of people that uh, were not screened or treated for cancers or other uh, life-saving operations because of the closure of uh, services that were available. GPs stopped and seeing people unless they were going to give them injections. It's a really changed beast from what it was when it first uh, came around, or even, dare I say, from the days that you were working in it, you must see a massive difference. Absolutely, Vic. You know, um, and, and it's scary because 
what you're saying is is true. The NHS, the thing about Great Britain, the thing that made Great Britain great was the NHS. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I, I all right. I, I spent twenty years working for the NHS, but mm-hmm. after when I had the tuberculosis on my spine. I had five surgeries on the NHS, and I've said to enough people, if I lived in any other country in the world, I would have been dead now. The NHS saved my life, right? Mm -hmm. Now, um, it would have gone undiagnosed in a lot of countries, and maybe, you know, even in in developed countries like America or so forth, I wouldn't have had the insurance to cover me for the surgeries that I had, and it would have been, oh, sorry, you can't afford it, tough luck. But I was in I was in the NHS constantly as a patient after working there for all my working life for two years constantly as a patient, having surgery after surgery. And I'll be on medication now for the rest of my life from the NHS. You know, so I've got a lot of love and a lot of respect for the NHS mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. a personal perspective. But then what happened three years ago? And I saw what they did to it with the propaganda, with the mainstream media, and what they did to the actual staff. The staff are brainwashed. A lot of them staff Mm -hmm. still believe it. And Mm -hmm. now with them trying to break it up and sell it off, it it really does sadden me because the NHS has been close to my heart for my whole life, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and I know that I'm alive today because the NHS. So... What they're doing to it, it it, it does really upset me. And, and the, the thought that my kids won't be able to just dial 999 if they ever had an emergency in 10, 15, 20 years' time, dial 999 and get treated within a few hours. You know, it's a frightening thought when they they want to ask for your bank details and this kind of stuff or your insurance documents. And you're like, what? It's yep. crazy. So, yeah, you know, they're, they're not what they used to be. But that's part yeah. of the agenda. I, I, I feel it. That's what I mean. I'm, I'm trying to, uh, you've just vocalized perfectly what I was trying to say also. I mean, like I, almost, I mean, I had a real bad dose of malaria, falciparum malaria back in 2013, and it, it would have killed me. I took it when I was on a trip to Uganda, and it started getting really sick when it came back uh, to Belfast again. And had I not been admitted to the Royal Victoria Hospital in Belfast and treated uh, as a like like it was a, a king, uh, I would absolutely definitely be dead as per right now, even when my daughter was born. Uh, it was a young girl delivered uh, uh, my daughter. She was a wee trainee midwife, but uh, there was complications in the birth. And this team of uh, these old hand midwives burst in and effectively uh, saved my daughter's life. So I have to doff my cap uh, to the NHS as well and other things that they've done, which makes it even more hard to witness what's happening bureaucratically with yeah. the NHS and how the staff are being brainwashed and having to be forced and coerced into doing things that maybe they don't want to do. It's almost like how the mighty, how the mighty has fallen. So yes, uh, it's almost, it's sad to talk about this, Mick. And I, I haven't even worked in it. You spent 20 years working in it. So yeah, it must grieve you, especially when you see how far that that once great institution has fallen, because there's a lot of us listening today wouldn't actually be alive if it wasn't for uh, our local A&E department or, uh, you know, our local GP diagnosing with something that we got treatment for. So we'll have to give them dues, but that doesn't excuse the fact uh, that it has fallen terribly from grace at the minute. And it's turned into a murder machine for many, many people. Now I think of the amount of men- people were killed and effectively snuffed off by it during those uh, three yeah, years of hell yeah. during the scandemic. Yeah, yeah. And again, we blame uh, Matt Hancock, 
you know, like you say, the, the song was tongue-in-cheek, tongue but it, it was his responsibility as the health minister during that COVID scam. And I know that he's a character playing a part, but um, back in the day when, when I was, we had a dispute with the um, government, it was Kenneth Clark who was the health minister, and he played the bogeyman back then. And now Matt Hancock's playing the bogeyman. I'm watching this agenda unfolding, Rick, and it's, it's, it's not just started, like, don't get me wrong, it didn't just start with the COVID. Like, back in the day when I was in the NHS, you got promoted through the ranks. And, like, a, a nurse would become a sister, then she'd become a matron. Now what they do is they take on business people from other, other walks of life. And, like, the chief ambulance officer they brought in from British Airways. The guy had never driven an ambulance in his life back in those days. I'm like, what? That's not... It used to be you went through the ranks of the service, but now it's it's business people. It's like the management structure, and they broke the national health service back when I was in it. It was all one national health service, and then it's now it's a, an NHS trust. Each area has their own NHS trust, and they employ management and all these kind of um, clerical staff in positions of authority, telling people who are actually doing the job how to do the job. And, and that's what sent me mad back in the day. You know, I was, yeah. by the end of it, I was glad to get out. I was glad to get out. The bureaucracy had already started. But that's demoralizing too, especially uh, when you when you get your position because of merit, not because you're a diversity hire, because you've been promoted in from boots to chemist uh, and you're then running an accident emergency department or whatever it happens to be. Uh, it demoralizes people, don't you think? So, for example, the nurses that were coming up through the ranks, as you say, you become a nurse, then you become a sister, then maybe you become a matron or whatever. You work your way up through the ranks. All of a sudden, you had people appointed uh, from outside of the field that were overseeing people that had a lot of experience. And I think that's Part of it as well, uh, the demoralization process, not just for the patients that aren't getting the treatment that they maybe used to get, but for the staff as well. Uh, they're maybe scratching their heads at the end of every shift going, what the hell's going on here? There's a really good mate of mine, um, Matt, uh, uh, forgotten a second name now, but he's a paramedic that just quit recently. He does the together uh, interviews. Uh, he was a paramedic for you know, 10 years when he came out of the army, he spent ages qualifying for it. He had to quit because he was so disgusted and demoralized by the way things are running in there now too. And there's another good man gone from the service because he just couldn't stick the red tape and the bureaucracy anymore. We've got to take a little break now, Mick, uh, for a quick ad. And when we come back, I want to look at some of the statements that one of the other new hires has been saying, uh, James Cleverly, you know, he's uh, talking about immigration into the UK and interestingly, some of the stuff that he's been, lies that he's been in uh, Westminster have been fact-checked quite funnily and we're getting a true picture of the state of play in the UK at the minute. So please, listeners, don't go away. We'll be right back after this short break here on TNT Radio. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. I've been in and around politics for over 50 years, so it takes a lot to surprise me, much less shock me. But I was shocked, shocked, not that so many Argentines voted for Javier Malay, but that the Peronist powers that be allowed him to win the election. And the thing that made me the happiest for my Argentine friends is the video that Malay put out where he went down the row of a magnetic board that had all the Argentine government ministries listed and all the irrelevant ones 
He pulled them off the magnetic board over his shoulder. They're gone, no more. That's exactly what we need to have happen here in the United States. We need Donald Trump back in January of 2025 to streamline our government. We need to move the Department of the Interior actually out into the interior. We need to move the Department of Agriculture to where we commit agriculture. And most importantly, we need to defund and disband FBI and distribute its law enforcement functions to other agencies that have their own law enforcement capability already stood up. We can't have Donald Trump back fast enough. I'm glad that Malay is going to make Argentina great again. We need Donald Trump here to make America great again. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. Right, I've got cancer. I've been trying to tell the rest of you, but no one's listening. And I don't just mean you, ears. Eyes, would you look in the damn toilet for once? Hands, roll those sleeves and take a sample. And legs, trot off to the doctor to get me looked at. Because bowel cancer can be successfully treated when detected early. Now look who's finally woken up. Rick Mon is locked and loaded on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Okay, uh, time is flying by here this morning. It's going like a rocket. They say time flies when you're having fun. Always have fun talking to you. Uh, Big Mick Chaves, uh, a lot of water under the bridge. He was saying just during the break there, usually I talk to Mick every you know six weeks, maybe roughly. And even since the last time we spoke, I want to talk about this chap called James Cleverly. Uh, but before we do, we were also saying that David Cameron uh, has made a return to UK politics. Would you, Adam and Evit? Uh, he's been made a lord of the realm by old uh, King Charles III himself. Mick, the last time we talked, would, if you were a betting man, would you have put money on the fact that David Cameron would be back in the cabinet again? <laughs> no, no. I thought that he had had his day, you know, when they rolled him out. Because I, over it, as you know, all the um, ex-prime ministers, they're always like the prime minister and they'll have security for the rest of their lives. Like mm-hmm. coppers sat outside their houses for the rest of their lives. So I thought once he had done his job and he did a bloody good job, you know, he, they, they brought him in for that reason, you know, to really mess things up. And he did. I thought that was it. I thought he was off, you know, off to the beach, off to Epstein's Island and we wouldn't see him again for the next 20 years. And now here he is back full screen, mm-hmm. right in the middle of everything. Amazing. Isn't it? Isn't it crazy? And of course, you know, you see a lot of these old uh, British politicians like Tony Blair has never really went too far away. Boris Johnson has never really went too far away from number 10. You still see him in there. He's now a GB News presenter. I understand. I've got him on GB News now. He's writing columns for newspapers. He's appearing at these protests, these anti-Semitic protests in London over the weekend. So he's keeping his oar in there as well. These apples, these bad apples don't seem to fall too far away from the bad apple tree and as part of the uh, cabinet shake up here as well uh, Suella Braverman of course uh, she was ousted she was the uh, you know she was in position the last time we spoke James Cleverly now has been brought in uh, and he's talking about illegal uh, immigration so here's what he has to say this is what he actually said and then it was fact checked uh, about what's actually happening so his own post he said illegal migration is up across Europe but it is down in the UK, but we can't just stop now. We will stop at nothing. 
to break the business model of people smuggling gangs in small boats. And the fact of this one is, this has been uh, funny because they've amended this post on the Twitter platform. It says, in the year ending June 2023, there were actually 52,500 irregular migrants detected entering the UK, which is up 17% from the previous year ending in June 2022. And 85% of those people arrived on small boats. So Cleverly stands up in the House of Commons and says that immigration is down, illegal immigration is down in Britain, but it's actually up 17% from the previous year. And 85% of the people that are coming in are coming in in dinghies and landing on the, uh, the shores of Dover and then scuppering off the army barracks or hotels or B&Bs or yep. whoever or wherever all around the UK. So cleverly, uh, this stopped the boats. Uh, it's got nothing to do with boats. It's the people that are on the boats is the issue because there's boats crossing the English Channel all the time. Some of them are carrying cargo. Some of them are carrying uh, legitimate fur paying passengers. Some of them are being people trafficked. Pretty Patel said, we're going to stop the boats. Suella Braverman constantly said, we're going to stop the boats. James Cleverly's mantra is, we're going to stop the boats. Why has nobody stopped any boats yet? <laughs> That's it. You know, they're crying that they're going to do something about it when they are the people that put this in place. You know, they, they are the ones who gave these hotels these long contracts. They can't take any paying customers. The government are paying to put these um, mm -hmm. refugees, asylum seekers, illegal immigrants, whatever you want to call them. They're being bought in for whatever their reason is. And I, I don't know what the reason is. Like you, I've heard of 20 different reasons why it could be. One of the main reasons is clearly to destabilise um, the social structure of the country. That, that bit to me seems fairly obvious, you know. And they do not intend, they, they say the lip service, we're going to stop the boats. But we don't believe that that's their plan at all. We don't think that they've got as many as they want. You know, they want to really destabilise this our society. You know, people up in arms, people fighting each other. When, when we're fighting each other, we're not fighting them. And that's what they want. They don't want us fighting them. They want us in the streets fighting each other. And then they can put it all over social media, all over mainstream media and say, oh, look at these terrible people rioting and looting. When in reality, that's the exact situation that they want. And that's why, that's a main, what I believe, a main reason whilst, why they're allowing these guys coming in. And I say guys, because you know yourself, Rick, there's not very many families. And from the videos that we've seen of the boats, there is no females on them boats at all. There is no children on them boats. So it's all men from the age of 15 up to maybe about 30. There's a reason why they're doing what they're doing, mm -hmm. you know. And then at the same time, I don't want to go too far political, but at the same time, we've got our government telling people to put Israeli flags all over the place, mm -hmm. which is just like a red rag to a bull. You know, what do they expect? Well, they know what they expect. They expect trouble. And that's exactly what they're getting. Uh, it's it's interesting, you know, you talk about the demographic there and who can argue with the fact that, you know, if you're fleeing from a war, uh, so say you're under, your family's under persecution and you're fleeing away from a war, you don't leave your mother, your daughter, your wife, your children, your aunts, your uncles, your elderly relatives, you don't leave them behind and run off to find a new uh, life and then say, okay, we're going to bring you along whenever I get settled down. If you're under genuine threat of death and persecution, your family should be coming with you. And 
you know, some it's not 100% uh, young men that are coming over, but it must be 90% plus, and at least certainly these small boats that we're seeing landing uh, day after day, especially during the summer months when the weather's better in the English Channel, you know, and the RNLI and Border Force and the Royal Navy are ferrying them across when they reach the halfway point coming from France as well. The predominant uh, demographic is, is young men. You don't see old men. You don't see uh, elderly men. You don't see women. You no. don't see children. You don't see families piling off these dinghies. It's legions and legions of young men. And I'm sure you've been following uh, what's been going on in Ireland at the minute. We have a lot of problems at the minute with uh, violence over here and a lot of uh, horrific attacks are being perpetrated. Now, let's be honest about this. Uh, white Irish men, uh, white indigenous Irish men and English men are, are committing crimes and horrific murders all over the UK as well. It's not because crimes not just uh, limited uh, to people that are coming into the country illegally. However, there are crimes that could have been prevented by not allowing illegal immigrants into the country with previous records for violence against women and children, for example. And last week, there was a stabbing in Dublin. Uh, and as a result of that, uh, there was a ratting on the streets last week. Some of that, I believe, was legitimate. Some of it was agent provocateurs that were set up to make things look bad. And of course, new laws are trying to be rushed through the Irish Parliament at the minute, one of which in particular uh, is being brought out uh, to give the guards uh, more power to crack down on rioters. So they're not talking about cracking down and stabbing children. They're not talking about cracking down on men being able to attack uh, women and children at primary schools. They're talking about cracking down on Irish men and women that take to the streets uh, to show their disgust at what's happening happening in Ireland at this point in time. So uh, just to give you a flavor for this one, and this is, of course, something that we believe in, problem, reaction, solution. Uh, I don't want uh, the police to be looking over their shoulders, says Justice Minister Helen McEntee. She may give Cardi more powers to crack down on rioters. And even the Green Party have done a U-turn as it backs the use of facial recognition technology because they believe it'll be able to make dissenters a lot easier to identify. Is this not playing directly into their hands? Absolutely. That's... You know what, we, we started talking about it with the COVID. It's all about the digital ID. It's all about track and trace everybody. And they will use the illegal immigration as a to push the agenda forward of tracking people. Everyone needs to be tracked. If these guys were chipped, then they wouldn't be able to commit these crimes. You know, and like you say, these guys are coming in without any paperwork. So they're criminals, they're gangsters, they're mobsters, they're mafias in some cases, right? And they're being brought in daily and crimes will be committed. I mean, this is human trafficking on a grand scale and people don't want to see it. That's what it is. Call it by its name. This is human trafficking. These men are being trafficked into our country for whatever their nefarious reasons are. But the laws are getting changed. The digital ID is coming in and it's all unfolding in front of us like we said that it was going to. You know, and how do we stop it? I don't know. They pass laws in Parliament, more tracking, more more restrictions, no protests, no rioting. You know, I don't know what we do, Rick. I honestly don't. You know, we've been fighting this for years. I still can't see an answer. Do you know what? Uh, you know, being realistic about it, people have been taking to the streets for years. We've been banging on here. And you've been talking about this for an awful lot longer than I have. We've been talking about it since this whole business in TNT started, about trying to reverse the draconian measures and make people uh, more at liberty and more freedom in their own towns and villages and countryside. But it seems to be, if you think about it, they're actually 
bringing in even more oppressive laws now than there were before all of this started. So you've got hate speech laws in the UK, you've got the online harms bill, uh, uh, sorry, you've got the hate speech laws in Ireland, you've got the online harms bill in the UK, you've got these uh, draconian crackdowns and protesters, you've got people being served with uh, dispersal notices because they're going to you know, stand at a cenotaph or standing outside an abortion clinic, for example, praying silently. That's not going to be allowed anymore. It seems to be uh, that they're tightening the screws down even harder. And I think this is to kick the kick the fight out of us as well, Mick. But I think you would agree for as long as we've got breath in our bodies, uh, we're going to keep uh, calling out this BS and we're going to keep standing up to it and resisting it. Uh, we've only got a few minutes left. Uh, before we uh, just wrap this one up, there's another uh, a, cons a consensus song coming on here, maybe down the line for the next time that you and me talk. But uh, BBC fear porn, human cases of flu now seen in pigs found in the UK for the first time. Mira Chand, incident director at the UK Health and Security Agency or OXA, as it's also known, says we are working rapidly to trace close contacts and reduce the potential spread of this new pig flu. Uh, well, when they ever going to let up on this one? What's it going to be next? We'll have the monkeypox, we'll have the COVID, we'll have the bird flu, we'll have the swine flu. What next? Hamster flu, cat flu, dog flu. Where's it going to end, Mick? You know what? They tried it with a bird flu. Um, I, I'm I'm really lucky. I live in in the country, um, quite off grid. You know, and we um, we got a small holding there, or the the people I live with have a small holding. They got farms. We're ready for the end of the world. But then what our overlords are trying to do? They bought out all this swine flu, uh, sorry, bird flu, and they want to um, execute all the chickens. So in our local area, they want to come around and kill your chickens. So we've been living off eggs for the last couple of years. But no, 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 they don't want that. They want to kill your chickens just in case they spread bird flu to humans. It's just ridiculous. They come at you it's from not, every yeah. angle with their BS. And it's it's so frustrating. It's so frustrating. And the minute you go against their laws, then they're coming around more banded, you know. And it's like you're breaking the law because you don't want them to murder your, your livestock. It's crazy what's going on over in the UK even. It's mental. Doesn't this add but another dimension to it? It's not just a case if they want to clamp down on your freedom using health as an example, but now that's, as you've just testified, it's a source of food uh, for you and the small holding that you're on at the minute too. So you're going to, you know, you can eat the chickens ultimately and you can also uh, eat the eggs that they lay. If they want to eradicate uh, the holding that you have on that, then what are you going to do? You're going to be out of pocket. You're going to have less nutrition in your diet. It's the same in Ireland. Uh, they're talking about culling the dairy herds out here, or the beef herds out here to reduce, uh, you know, carbon emissions carbon dioxide emission levels because the cows are farting in the fields. I mean, like, what are you going to do? How, you know, how's, how's culling them? And then what they do is, but then they import beef from Brazil uh, to Ireland because we don't have enough beef here. So, you know, does that not counterbalance, you know, flying the beef over from Brazil? Does that not take up more carbon emissions and leaving the bloody cows to be alive in the first place? It seems to be they can't keep their hands off anything that is good and honest and pure and dear to our hearts here in the UK. Listen, we've only got two minutes left. Uh, very, very quickly, people can contact you uh, via your website, which is madmix, M-A-D-M-I-X, conspiracies.co.uk. Also, you have a Telegram channel, Mad Mix Conspiracies. Really quickly, what's the name of that new song that you're going to release on the 15th of December? Vaxi Taxi. Vaxi Taxi. I love it. Is that V-A-X-I? V-A-X-I. 
T-A-X-I. So look for that That's one. It. Look for that one. And uh, give Mick and uh, Martin a bit of encouragement and support coming up to Christmas. They're not in it to make money. They're in it to try and uh, spread awareness and uh, put a smile on people's faces. So give them a little bit of encouragement. Buy Vaxi Taxi on the 15th of December. Uh, that can be a Christmas present for someone you love or maybe even someone you don't like. You could send it to them and irritate the hell out of them over the festive season. Uh, but Mick, listen, we're coming up to time in this one. I'll probably Probably won't get talking to you again uh, before Christmas. So weird as it may seem, uh, big uh, Christmas greetings to you, your loved ones, and the Martin and family as well. You're doing a fantastic job out there in Kent. Uh, big salute to you, and hopefully I will talk again in the new year. What do you think? Yes or no? Definitely, I'll definitely see you in the new year. Good man. Well, listen, that's the one and only uh, Mick Chaves. Uh, we've got to wrap it up here for the day. Uh, James Freeman's on the way in as I'm on the way out. Uh, big thanks to Murray and the guys in the studio for nailing this all down and making it happen. I'll be back again tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. UK time. Don't go away. More magic in coming here on the one and only TNT Radio.